You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to another edition of the Hidden Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lane. Follow me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. Subscribe to the Hidden Yardage Podcast on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And as always, I'm joined by my buddy Sean Martin. Sean, where can they find you on Twitter? Hey guys, I'm at Sean Martin NFL. Come on in, and we're getting real close to the draft, of course. So I would certainly appreciate everybody giving a follow before we get to draft time, and we'll have a lot of content up for you. And if you really want to see what kind of good attitude he has, just park your vehicle in front of him when <laughs> he's got some deliveries to make and then tell him that the medication was making you dizzy. Those bright yellow ISIS plates are so noticeable. For those that obviously don't know what Mark is talking about, he sent me a, uh, I don't think it was a TikTok, but just to reach our generational listeners, I'll call it a TikTok. He sent me basically a TikTok video of, you know, some, some rogue uh, New Jersey driver getting into some road rage out there on the, you know, the Garden State Parkway or wherever they might have been. Pause for what? You're very close. It was three seconds, sir. It was the whole, the light was red. Three seconds, The light was red. It turned green. You still sat there reading a piece of paper. Then it turned red again. That was kind of cool. But yeah, those bright, those bright yellow license plates sure do stand out. I see quite a bit, in, you know, around here in Austin. And I always know... Uh, I always know that there's somebody from the homeland because you can see it from my old way. Yeah, the, the the homeland, huh? That's what you call the Garden State. Well, not really, but you know, in in this situation, sure. Okay, yeah, the homeland. Um, well, when I saw that video, it was kind of startling. Like I said, because I thought that driver kind of sounds like Sean, and then I saw, <laughs> and then. Just I, because of the antics, I had to watch it to its conclusion. And then I noticed those license plates. And I thought, I think those are Jersey license plates. And when I looked it up, oh, hey, it is. So then I sent it to Sean and Tech. Like I said, I mean, it caught me by surprise. And you know what, Sean? Cowboys fans, I think, this week could get caught by surprise throughout the NFL draft, especially when the Dallas Cowboys are – have had a um, startling offseason thus far, and I want to run through some of those scenarios. I've got some scenarios that I think could shock Cowboys fans, and I'm sure you've got some too that I'd love to hear, but I think the number one in, uh, thing that could shock Cowboys fans is if they get into night one and then they trade back to take their guard. I think that could shock Cowboys fans. What do you think? Obviously, even the most recent trade back for this team yielded, you know, one of the cornerstone players right now in, in Parsons. So 
I think we're all intrigued by the idea of maybe being able to do something like that again and acquire more picks. And we know what these, this team needs. You know, we've been hitting it for months and Cowboys fans are well informed. There's a lot of needs that could certainly be touched on if you do trade back and pick up some extra picks. But that guard spot is such a crucial need. I would certainly say it's their biggest need. And I know I'm not alone if I say that. So, you know, the fact that they could be sitting there at 24 and you have a guy like Kenyon Green and you have a Zion Johnson still on the board and you still decide to trade back for a guy who maybe you have a second-round grade on, but maybe you, especially in this class, you're already looking at second-round grades by the time those mid-teens to 24th overall pick rolls around. You could trade back, still get a guard, and feel good about what you did. I wouldn't be opposed to that if that's exactly how it plays out, but you know, if you're sitting there at 24 and you still have those top-graded guards on the board, I don't see any way this team could pass on one. You know, just knowing the pressure that Dak Prescott faced right in his face because of the issues you had on the interior offensive line, the issues you had in the running game, how much a rookie guard exactly fixes that, I don't know, but you still got to do something. And that 24th overall pick feels like the best time for them to, uh, to get a guard in here. Yeah, that's why I put it in there at the – uh, as shocking is because it seems like you're risking losing your guard prospect if you trade down. You know, if Kenyon Green's there at 24 and Dallas gets cute and trades back, I think Cowboys fans would definitely have some trepidation until the team picked again. And if it's Kenyon Green 24, I think you make the pick. I mean, even if it's. Zion Johnson, 24. You got to make the pick. Just don't get cute. Don't trade back. Yeah, both players would be great scheme fits. You know, when you talk about Zion Johnson from Boston College, you're talking about a guy who gets to the second level if he's great in zone blocking, plays with his head up, strong hands at the point of attack, all of that uh, could really help the Cowboys run game, no doubt. And then Kenyon Green is just you know, I think a lot of Cowboys fans have a little bit of reserve when it comes to taking another first-round offensive lineman, not because this team, of course, doesn't have a great track record of taking them, but just because you know they watch this team fail in the first round of the playoffs again, and they're saying, oh, we need a bigger impact. You know, Give us another skill player. Give us a big-time defender. Give us someone that can finally win us that playoff game. I don't know how many offensive linemen you can say that about, but there's no doubt You know, when this team had a great offensive line, is when they were most successful. And so now they have that spot on left guard where you, you certainly need an upgrade over Connor McGovern right now. And, you know, I just gave you the report on Johnson. Kenyon Green, I think you would notice the, the difference he would make. I mean, this guy plays nasty on tape, gets to the second level again, uh, could play a little bit of tackle as well if you possibly needed him to. Just throwing guys to the ground, finishes his blocks, plays for the whistle type of guy, uh, plays, you know, Pat level, leverage, all of that is a plus on his tape out of Texas A&M. So I wouldn't worry too much if you're a Cowboys fan about getting that immediate impact if the pick is Kenyon Green because I think he can come in and really help this team quite a bit. So if he's there, you know, I'm with you, Mike. You go ahead and turn that card in. Yeah, and you, know, I think another scenario that would shock Cowboys fans is if they traded up to take Traylon Burks. It's not enough to take Traylon Burks at 24. I think if they traded up to get him, that would really just send Cowboys fans in a tizzy. 
this is such a weird receiver class, right? Because like I'm not a, nearly as high on Traylon Burks as a lot of people, but yet in a weird way, other than maybe Jamison Williams, where you have to deal with the injury history, I feel I still feel like Burks is the only receiver worth trading up, and I still don't, and I'm not convinced, you know, that his tape is what people say it is, and I've scouted him over at bloggingtheboys.com, but like I'm not sold on Burks. If he's if he's the pick there at twenty four, and sure maybe you know you can sell me a little bit better, but yeah, I wouldn't be happy about trading up for him. But at the same time, I could see the logic that the Cowboys would be justifying. You know, he's a guy that can line up on the single side of the field, draw all the coverage in the world, and still make a play. You know, he can catch it in coverage. He can make yards after the catch. Quick cut type of guy, contested catch, high points the ball well, boxes out defenders in the red zone. All of that is a plus with Traylon Burks. Just his overall game, I'm not as high on as a lot of people. But, you know, if the Cowboys are sold on him, we've learned not to question this scouting staff all that much. They know what they're doing. And if they don't feel like he's going to make it to 24, and they do feel that the receiver class is just, you know, something they can't live with in terms of getting the most out of Dak Prescott or you're paying so much to for a team that cares so much about cap space, then yeah, I could justify going up for Traylon Burks, but I just do think that they're going to be sitting there with a lot of guys that they feel better about um, before they consider a trade up for Burks. That would certainly be a sock. Yeah, for, for Burks, you know, I think that I would feel comfortable if they took him at twenty-four. If yeah. their options at guard were gone, you know what I mean, or if they couldn't be talked into. Nicobe Dean or something like that. Uh, I, I think that it just depends on how the board looks at that point. In a vacuum, Traylon Burks at 24, I don't particularly like that. Same thing with <clears throat> trading up for Traylon Burks. And I don't think I like giving up that much capital to go get a receiver when you already got Michael Gallup and CeeDee Lamb, you know. Why not trade up? Yeah, Steve, Steve Jones just said, you know, anytime you trade up in the draft, and I know Steven's comments aren't much of a uh, fan favorite thing when it comes to Cowboys fans, you know, paying attention to what he what he has to say about managing this cap space and all that. But Steven has told the fans that anytime you trade up, you're basically telling yourself that you just traded two players, you know, two, two dart throws at that, two wild card players for the sake of one. So... Is Traylon Burks better than, you know, maybe a Sky Moore or a George Pickens? Plus, pick any position the Cowboys need. A guard, a defensive end, a safety, a linebacker. And, you know, it's unfortunate that the list is so long for what this team needs. But pick any of those positions, pair it with anybody other than Traylon Burks, and ask yourself if Burks makes that type of impact. You know, can he be that Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson type of rookie receiver? And, Again, I'm not convinced he can. Yeah, exactly. Um, although I would say that, uh, think of it this way: Who's the? If I say Chris Olave, who's the other receiver at Ohio State? Uh, Garrett Wilson. If I say John Mechie, who's the other receiver at Alabama? Jameson Williams. If I ask you to name the number two receiver at Arkansas, who is it? 
Felix Jones's stepson. <laughs> yeah, but that's the point. I mean, you can't. And and Barton's doing that in the SEC West, arguably the toughest defensive division in all of college football. So I think some of that stacks up. It's just to me, I don't like the position. That's to me the issue is I just don't. I think that they need to invest in the offensive line or the defense. I think that that would help at 24. Well, how surprised would you be if, you know, you mentioned Olave, who I'm a huge fan of. How surprised are you if he's the pick at 24? Because I could, I could definitely get on board with that. I'm a huge fan of that player. Yeah, I'd be surprised. I, I th- thought the Ohio State guys would be gone by 24. So I'd be surprised on that basis, along with – why did they take a receiver at 24? Unless, like I said, the board. Because then if you see the board. Okay, if you just, like, turn on the TV when the Cowboys are about to pick, then you'd be surprised. But if you're watching the draft all night, oh, well, you know, that explains why they'd take Olave. You know, the thing with Olave is, you know, this team's biggest need, I think, right now, when it comes to skill positions is, you know, speed and being able to take the top off of defense and, you know, Amari Cooper gave you that at, at certain points, but it wasn't consistent enough. And who knows, even if you retained him, if that would still be a part of his game as he gets older and deals with some of these injuries right now. So Olave replaces that right away as far as being a guy in the rookie contract who sells all, his, sells all of his routes up the field very well. The vertical stuff is incredible with him. And then he uses that to develop his underneath route tree. So... You know, to steal a term from a couple of years ago, he'd be a very Dak friendly receiver. Now, I've been on the boat of, if you've listened to this show, saying that it's time for Dak to elevate what he has at receiver as opposed to having to constantly inject talent around your franchise quarterback who's eating up a lot of cap space just to see a return. You could do better than see the OIM, Michael Gallup, who you won't see for the first couple of weeks potentially. Uh, and Simi Fahoko and James Washington. And that's why maybe a George Pickens or a Sky Moore in the second round makes sense. But if Olave is sitting there, it's going to feel very similar to the CDLM pick where it was just a no-brainer. You have to do it. And, you know, it's unfortunate they're right back in the, in, the, in that position again, like I said, because you could have kept Cooper. Maybe you could have kept Cedric Wilson if you didn't keep Cooper. But since you lost both of them, yeah, it might be too hard to pass up on Olave. Yeah, again, like I said, I'd have to see the board uh, at that particular point. Um, you know, just like I said, in a vacuum, I don't like it. But on draft night, with the board revealing itself, hey, you know, I probably would be more in favor of the pick. I think Cowboys fans would be surprised and more in favor of this pick if Dallas took a safety in the top 100, in other words, in the first three rounds of the draft I think Cowboys fans that would be a good surprise yeah it seems like their picks you know not to give them another excuse not to take a safety because I have plenty of those you know they haven't addressed it and it's a, it's a problem you know I wrote an article uh, the other day at bloggingtheboys.com that you can go check out and we've spent so much time you know psychoanalyzing the 24th overall pick that I felt like with so few days to go before the draft, it was time to start looking at these later round options. And so the, the path I took in this article was, hey, here's the list of next year's free agents. And 
yes, we know they put a priority on signing their own, but they also put a priority on, you know, keeping cap space and making sure they have enough pie to go around. So here's the guys that Steven Jones might say, you know, need to see the door next year. And if that's the case, who can they draft this year to start developing as their replacement? And I looked at some late round replacements for, you know, positions like running back where pretty much everybody not named Ezekiel Elliott is going to be coming up for a contract. And that includes Tony Pollard, tight end where Dalton Schultz is on the franchise tag, but there's no long-term deal yet to speak of uh, and things like that. So, you know, you look at these later round options for positions you might be able to replace and, you know, it, it doesn't really fit what their exact needs are as far as guard and receiver and everything we just talked about. But if you want to go up and get a safety, uh, do you want to do it at 24? I don't think there's a great option there. 56, maybe you're still talking about, you know, a guy like Sign from Georgia or Petrae from Baylor, but they could be gone by then. And at that point, the board definitely drops off. So, again, not to give them a, an excuse, but it feels like they're in a tough spot to grab one of these safeties this year and you're going to be looking at you know, a team that's still trying to sell us that they're in win-now mode. They're still trying to tell us that Malik Hooker and uh, DeMonte Casey and, you know, those types of guys are going to be able to get it done uh, for another year at safety and we'll kick the, kick the can down the road and see what we got next year. And then maybe we'll talk about a safety in the first round. I'll tell you the mode the Cowboys are in, okay? They are in the maybe win-now mode. Which is a horrible place to be. Yes, it is. For fans, especially of this franchise, it is. And I think that's why there's so much uh, vitriol. You want to call it that? So much vituperative speech from Cowboys fans is because it, they're not used to maybe win now. Uh, that's good for, I would say, the Bengals. Um, you know, who were just in... Who, who won a whole hell of a lot more than you. I mean, I know it stings to say, uh, you know, one of my best friends went to University of Cincinnati, so he's not a football fan, but, like, it's still cool to see the Bengals do well because of him. But nonetheless, um, you know, it, it stings to say the Bengals have done a whole hell of a lot more than the Cowboys have. Well, right. Recently, I'm talking but, about, like, yeah. the legacy of a franchise. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think that, you know... Maybe the Jaguars as well, Carolina Panthers. So, see, I'm referencing expansion teams from 95. Uh, you could say, uh, I would say historically, the Seattle Seahawks. Yep. I'm just talking about, like, since their founding and so forth. As I'm saying, since the founding of the Cowboys from 60 to 2000, I mean, they did a lot of winning. And – a lot of championship game appearances and everything. Um, and now it's gone from that to, like I said, maybe win now. And I think that for some franchises being in a maybe win now mode is good because it, it does generate interest and keeps the ticket sales and everything going. And, but for Dallas, for the expectation, you know, you got the shadow of those, I mean, the, Sheen from those five Super Bowl wins, uh, just shining on you all the time. It it just creates a lot of problems, and so fans don't know how to deal with maybe win now, which is why they get so frustrated at why don't you draft a safety? 
Why don't you do it like the Rams? Why don't you just, you know, sell your soul again to salary cap hell so yeah. they can appear in a Super Bowl, for goodness sakes? Do you have a favorite baseball team, Mike? Do you follow Major League Baseball at all? Okay, so my family, uh, going back to my, I think even my great-grandparents on my um, paternal grandparents' side, they were St. Louis Cardinals fans. And then when I moved to Dallas-Fort Worth in 2011, slowly over time, I developed uh, an affinity for the Texas Rangers. Uh, so basically, that those are where my loyalties lie, so to speak. There's a concept in baseball that I've really I've read up a lot on, and it's really fascinating. And I think it applies somewhat to the Cowboys here, in that you know there are certain franchises, and the Cardinals might be a good example. So I'm glad you brought them up because they you know they have such a rich history and they've won a lot recently, but not. In very not in short history, but you know the past couple of years they've certainly have enough success to fall back on for their fans to say you know we've enjoyed enough. But there's a concept in baseball, and I know this came up a lot when the Cubs uh, were finally playoff contenders and they won that World Series in epic fashion against the Indians, where it's almost better to be a bad team where fans expect nothing than to be a team where no matter what, and the Cowboys are in this boat to translate it back to football, to be a team no matter what, you're going to have a following, you're going to sell tickets, you're going to sell jerseys, you're going to sell merchandise, you're going to have fans. And that happens no matter what. So the team doesn't feel as much pressure to, you know, to put out that top-notch product, especially when, you know, you just said it, Mark, why don't you be more like the Rams? Well, the thing we're all waiting on is when's that balloon going to pop for the Rams? You know, they're, they're living high right now because they're the defending champions. And yes, they brought back a lot. You could sure make a case that they'll be repeat champions. They're certainly going to be a contender in the NFC this year. I get all that. But, you know, at some point the bubble's going to burst and what are the Rams going to look like? The answer is I don't think they care because they have a new fan base out there in Los Angeles and they'll be able to fall back on being a new champion you know, when they won it most recently. So when you have teams like the Cubs, and I'm a Yankees fan personally, I think that's pretty well known you know, if you follow my Twitter or anything like that. Um, you know, These teams feel like they can't completely tank. They feel like they can't put out just a horrendous product on the field because they're always operating under this disguise of, well, we're, we're in win now. Come on, this is a World Series team. What are you talking about? But then, you, you know, you look at the lineup and it's seven out of nine guys batting under 200 like the Yankees used to have at one point. And I would still buy tickets to go to the game. Um, but, you know, they the Cowboys are in the same boat. They're trying to say we're in win now because they know that's what the fans want to hear and they expect nothing less. But you look at this roster and how true is it? Well, you know, we can reassess when we come on the air here after the draft. But again, you know, this is a team that got bounced from the first round of the playoffs, and now we're going to be counting on a bunch of rookies to make a big impact. That's a pretty tough sell, but nonetheless, certain franchises have to make that type of sell. Like I said, the Cubs, the Cardinals are a good example, and the Yankees might be one. And if you're going to pick a football team, I think the Cowboys are right on the front of that list. 
as far as franchises they have to always sell their fans on the fact that they're trying to win when the best opposite might be saying, hey, we're not really trying to win. You know, we're trying to rebuild this thing and get some bad contracts off the books and uh, and rebuild, but that's not where they are right now. And you know, if it goes south this season, then maybe that's where they are. But with a healthy Dak Prescott and a couple of couple of pieces on the offensive line, you should be in position to win some games. So I don't think you're going to hit full rebuild mode mode anytime soon. Yeah, because it was really rough um, when they did. Uh, for the Rams, I would say since they've been doing their massive wheeling and dealing un- under Sean McVay, I would submit 2019 as a team as a year where it didn't pay off for them. And that was the year that they acquired Jalen Ramsey mid-season, by the way, and it didn't work out for them. Um, but they've still managed to keep together, keep adding pieces, and. And now they took home the Super Bowl. But, uh, yeah, hey, even the Yankees, because they were horrendous in the 80s under under George Steinbrenner. They were horrendous in the 80s. Yet they somehow found a way to come back in the 90s. So, you know, it can be done just because you are a marquee franchise and you hit what that slump that you're talking about, the maybe win now mode you can finally get to a win-now point and be successful. Like the Cubs would still sell out Wrigley Field all the time, no matter what product they were putting on the field. So, you know, if you're an owner concerned more about the bottom line than, you know, your legacy as an owner, which I don't think Jerry Jones or Stephen Jones is, but it's still a factor. You know, you're looking at your attendance, you're looking at your revenue numbers and saying, well, hey, how much do we really have to do to, to fix this? The product is what it is, and the fans are still buying it, so let's just keep doing it. And, yeah, we'll add a free agent here and there, like the Cowboys have done, James Washington, Dante Fowler. We'll, we'll draft well, and, you know, in baseball, it's not as much of a factor because your players don't step in right away. In the NFL, yeah, the Cowboys might get a couple starters next week, which is awesome. Uh, but, again, this team hasn't been able to win playoff games consistently and so on. Or a couple of rookie starters going to change that? I don't think so. Uh, but you still have to get those starters right to protect the long-term future of whatever this, whatever direction this thing is going under Prescott and maybe Elliott and you know Trayvon Diggs and Parsons and some of these cornerstone players that you have that expect to be here for a while. Right. And I think it would surprise Cowboys fans if they blew the chance at maybe taking a corner – Stone player, albeit I don't know how many you can find on day three, but if they did so by using a day three pick on a quarterback. Yeah, that would get interesting. I mean, one thing we've criticized the Cowboys all offseason for is overvaluing their own guys and as a result, not doing enough in external free agency. But, you know, can we criticize them for undervaluing, you know, a guy like Ben DiNucci where, you know, they, it's like, yeah, you want to upgrade there, but it's just not the year to to do it. And I would agree, this probably isn't a draft cycle to do that because you have more pressing needs. Again, that's part of the frustration of a lot of Cowboys fans right now is that we should be talking about a team fresh off a playoff appearance that, you know, just fell a little bit short 
and now they just need one or two pieces, and they'll be a juggernaut. But instead, we don't even know if this will be a playoff team. We think they will just because the division is weak. But hey, the Giants have a boatload of picks. The Eagles have a boatload of picks. Washington, you know, is trying to get this thing turned around. So who the hell really knows what's going to happen? Uh, and you're a team that hasn't won a lot of playoff games. So trying to retool the roster, a backup quarterback doesn't do that for you in the in the short term. Um, so that's why it'd be a surprise to address that, like you said. But again, look up and down this roster. Can you do better than Ben DiNucci with a fifth, sixth, or seventh round quarterback? Uh, I think that answer is certainly a, a strong yes. But he's got a supporter in the Joneses. He's got a supporter in Mike, in Mike McCarthy. So that's why the backup QB situation is going to be what it is. What's interesting is when you look at McCarthy, he took Ingle Martin his first season in 06 with the Packers. Then in 08, he took two guys, Matt Flynn, Brian Brom, 2012, B.J. Coleman, 2015, Brett Hundley. So, uh, you know, he's not adverse to taking a – a quarterback in the draft, and of course, Flynn and Coleman, those were seventh-round picks, so again, day three. Uh, but, yeah, I think it'd be surprising because that would just, again, be kind of a waste of a draft pick because what's because now there goes Ben DiNucci, and then now you, you used a draft pick on a developmental guy. Why couldn't you just wait it until, you know, you're signing priority free agents to take care of it then? So I think it would be, like I said, a waste of a draft book. And similarly, it would surprise Cowboys fans if they drafted a kicker. Not that the franchise has ever drafted a kicker because they did in 2009 with David Beaver. I am pro-drafting a kicker. What? A for, I, am, I am here for a kicker pick, just to say that. Yeah. Just why? I mean, just so a- people get mad? Uh, well, well I'm kind of, yes, like I, I am pro-chaos, so bring on the chaos. I mean, I'm here for the reactions and all that. But also, I mean, look, if we really dive into it, like I know we're, we've looked at this team from kind of a global view because it's the offseason and we're deep into it at this point. But if you really think hard and think back to what these struggles were on offense, other than, oh, just Cowan got figured out or, you know, these generalities that we talk in because, again, it's so far in the past with how this offense struggled uh, through, you know, through the much of this season. They just didn't have, you know, those finishing type of plays. And now you don't have a guy like Amari Cooper who can make those plays or a Cedric Wilson who can make those unscripted plays. Or to start your year, this, this year, you won't even have Michael Gallup who makes those unscripted plays. So, you know, I do think a kicker could be a weapon on his team in terms of, Let's say you give the ball to Tony Pollard, he hits on you know a 25-yard run, and every analytical out there would tell you that on drivers where you get an explosive run, you know you should score or things like that, or it greatly increases your chances of scoring. That's because you have to string together, or you still have to string together positive plays. But I don't know if we should have a whole lot of trust that this team can do. There's going to be some growing pains with the receiver core. The average line, depending on what happens at 24, if they don't take one, still might be a big issue. So, you know, I don't trust necessarily this team to string together a whole lot of plays, but 
do I trust him to maybe hit an explosive play or two because of Prescott's ability, because of CeeDee Lamb's ability, because of Pollard and Elliott? Sure. So if you do that and you get yourself in field goal range, I am pro scoring points and giving Dan Quinn's defense all the points to work with in the world. And if there's a kicker out there that hopes to do that from a range where you wouldn't feel comfortable kicking last year or the year before, then, yeah, I am pro take a kicker. Okay. That's, uh, that's good. What's funny is going into the playoffs, the um, one of the narratives was that, you know, can you trust Greg Zerline? And I remember that, you know, someone that turned in their homework late was trying to press John Fossil on that. And it was just, you know, that was going to be the storyline. Instead, it was that Dallas doesn't know the rules. And Dak Prescott ran a draw play with 15 seconds to go. And so Greg Zerline was totally off the hook. So, like I said, David Beeler in 09, Nick Folk in 07, and then before that, Jeff Ward in 1987. And in case you're curious, when the last time Dallas drafted a punter, it was in 1975 with Mitch Hoops. Of course, we all know Danny White took over as the backup quarterback and the punter, which definitely made – I mean, if you imagine Danny White – as the punter with Bones <laughs> Fossil as a special teams coordinator. There'd be so many fakes that, you know, every, you'd have to question if you were living in the Matrix. Yeah, you might not see the opposing team line up in an actual punt return formation all season long. <laughs> yeah, it'd be nuts for sure. All right, so there they were. There were scenarios that I have that I think Cowboys fans could be surprised by. What do you think, Sean? Do you have some of your own? So one thing, you know, for listeners that have been a fan of this show from the start, really, and we thank them, of course, um, one thing I've kind of hammered home is that you're not going to get the immediate impact from a defensive end that I think you need from this year's draft class at the top uh, when you're picking at 24 and then scheduled to pick at 56 in the second round. You know, you better get some impact players there and – yeah, I'm just not sold on this team going defensive end. I'm a big believer in Dan Quinn. What Cowboys fan isn't? And I think it's not the worst thing in the world to hand him the current group of defensive ends as is, maybe with a second or third round pick or even later pick thrown in there and saying, hey, go figure this thing out. Yeah, I think he does have enough. It's not going to be the best in the league. It's not going to you know, wow anybody. Uh, but Parsons can be a part of that as well, of course. We know that. So I think any talk of this team, uh, you know, it feels like defensive end has kind of crept up there. Like everyone says, offensive line receiver, offensive line receiver. It's getting beaten into our heads that those are the two biggest needs and nothing can come close. And then defensive end sneaks up there like, oh, don't forget about us. And I just don't think, you know, hopefully the team is listening to that type of noise that the fans are talking about when it comes to defensive end because – I've been watching these guys, and I don't see the value uh, of them going defensive end very high in this draft. So I think a lot of fans would be surprised if they pass the 24, pass in the second round, and pass in the third round at that position. I think a lot of fans are ready to slap a failing draft grade on this team's class if they don't take a defensive end in the first three rounds. But me personally, if they follow how the board falls and don't take an end, 
uh, until the fourth round or later, I don't think I'll have a problem with it. Yeah, so long as it's not, you know, Joe Jackson or something, and then the guy doesn't even make the team. Well, yeah. I was a fan of Jalen Jelks. I was, uh, we, we did the segment last week on like guys that might have been pet cat type of players. Uh, I was kind of excited when they took Jalen Jelks out of Oregon uh, as a seventh rounder. You know, it's so hard to make the team as a seventh rounder, so I sort of got my hopes up too high. But, yeah, he was kind of an athletic guy who I definitely thought could stick here but never really got an opportunity. Yeah, and rarely I was wrong. Uh, Joe Jackson, he made the team. I was just exaggerating. Um, but really, uh, it's just they need. I think they need to add a young guy there, a young, talented guy. They can't just – I mean, let's say Dorrance Armstrong is going to – you know, replace Randy Gregory in production and all of that. But is he going to maintain that? Do you have intentions of keeping him for the next two to three seasons? If not, then go get someone who can be the next Dorrance Armstrong, playing at a high-level production, same as Randy Gregory. Uh, but, yeah, I, they, they need to go defensive end. Uh, so let me ask you this, moving on. How old were you when you began to pay attention to the NFL draft? And what draft year was it? So really, I guess the best answer for this is 2018. Um, you know, so there was a lot of things going on in terms of my availability to be able to put the amount of legwork that goes into the draft. And, oh, no, you know, no yeah, to... that's like you're the crown jewel of when, you know, you were involved with the draft. So you're telling me in 2017 you didn't, you didn't watch? Oh, no, I, I always watched a little bit, and I would, like, I would always know, like, you know, who the first-round guy was, but, like, I sort of had to watch any tape or, like, understand what the combine measurements meant or, like, you know, I, or, like, knew anything about the Jimmy Johnson show. Any of those things you know, were over my head before then, so. Okay, so it was 2018. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. That was... No, no problem. I mean, yeah, so I've mentioned on here before, um, you know, 2018 draft is, you know, not to over-exaggerate or hyperbolize, but, uh, you know, and our our managing editor of this website, O.J. Ochoa, who's given us this podcast platform and gives us our uh, our platform at bloggingtheboys.com as well, will probably tell you the same thing, which is pretty cool. Uh, it, it's probably no hyperbole that, the 2018 draft was, you know, a life-changing event for me. Uh, I was still living in New Jersey at the time, but I had the chance to fly down to Dallas when they hosted it and attend that draft in person and, you know, kind of show, uh, you know, what our prep level was compared to other media folks who were doing it professionally when I was still doing it as a college student who had other responsibilities. And, you know, I did have a friend with me who watched tape and, all that, but sure enough, you know, I do feel like our prep level was right where it needed to be uh, to hold our own, you know, against some of the biggest media folks there, and I was at the press conference for Leighton Vanderess, I was at the press conference for Connor Williams, who's uh, gone on to the Dolphins, of course, but that was an amazing opportunity, it was my first ever time in Texas, little did I know I would move there a couple of years later, so that was an amazing event that, uh, you know, really changed a lot of things in my life. Uh, just to be able to say that I did it. But nonetheless, 
it was a, a proving point for, you know, the amount of tape that I watched that year that it could pay off in terms of anybody that does this wants to feel rewarded because it's not easy work. You know, there's so many things that can be dealing with your day-to-day life uh, to, to fire up tape of college players that nobody truthfully knows if they're going to work out or not and try to figure it out. Uh, it's kind of a daunting task if, you, if you've never done it before and you don't know where it's going to get you. But now, you know, I have this platform and I know where it's gotten me uh, and where it might go someday thanks to what happened in 2018. So I spent the flight to Dallas from Newark, uh, New Jersey to Dallas trying to convince myself I'd like Van Der Es because I had pretty good information that he would be the pick like most of us did, right? And I tried to watch some last-minute tape on Van Der Es to convince myself because I was not high on him at the time. And I landed in Dallas, still not being very high on him. He, he certainly proved us wrong his rookie year. And then since then, we all know injuries and whatnot have slowed him down. So that was the start of my draft coverage. And then since then, you know, other full-time jobs in some different industries have pulled me away here and there. But it's still something I certainly have a passion for. Um, you know, this is how teams build their roster. The Cowboys more so than other teams. And the defending champion Rams are the anti-draft team, but nonetheless, this is how teams build the, build this thing. So if you're a fan of football, I don't see how you can't be a fan of the draft, even though I know some football fans aren't, because you know if you want to understand what you're seeing when you turn on the game on Sunday, whether you watch at home or whether you go out to a sports bar, however you take in NFL football, most of the guys you're watching came through the draft, and if you have an understanding of the draft, uh, it helps a whole lot, and so I've been able to do that, and we'll do it again next week. For me, the first draft that I actually um, paid attention to was in 2005 with DeMarcus Ware when he was coming out. I saw that, uh, what was that, NFL Network show that they used to have, and Paul Burmeister hosted it. And Brian Baldinger would get on there, and he would like shake his pinky around, and you'd have to see it. And then, oh, I kind of know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I used to watch Playbook. That was the Playbook best was show cool. ever. And then, yeah, dude. And I didn't know a damn thing about scheme, and I still watch Playbook. And, and was like, this is cool. So. Was on it. <laughs> it was the best show ever. But you know, anyway, um, so they would show Demarcus Ware. And then he's a four-down lineman and all that. And so that was 05. 07, what you're talking about where you get to know the prospects and you look at them a little bit more. That one, that probably was my first draft in that regard. And then I watched all three days of the draft. Well, it was two days back then. All two days of the draft. And I thought that uh, – I. Dallas trading out with the Eagles out of the first. That was the Browns. Then they got back in with the help of the Eagles, who then used their pick to take Kevin Cobb in the second round. But Dallas got Anthony Spencer. I thought that was brilliant. And then, of course, I thought Dallas was going to get Mason Crosby. Packers got him. Nick Fault, they get. Uh... There was a receiver, huge receiver from Indiana. Unfortunately, I got to say late receiver. 
his last name was Hardy, I believe, uh, that went in that draft. And I thought that it would behoove Dallas to take him. And they didn't, they weren't able to, or they didn't have any interest. Um, but I, I thought that, you know, they would have had a shot at him, but they didn't. And of course, that was the one with, um, you had Ted Ginn. I didn't think Dallas was going to get Ted Ginn at all. But, um, you know, I, that was kind of the first draft where I really dove in and look at the prospects and everything. And then in 08, that one was really interesting because I just knew Felix Jones was going to be one of the guys, you know. And he was. He was one of their first-round picks. And then, uh, yeah, like I said, it was 05, really 07. That was really kind of my first draft. Yeah, it's such an interesting thing. Like, you know, I mean, of all the things you can cover, because I, I haven't covered just football in my career. I've been honored to do, you know, all kinds of different things, you know, high school sports and baseball and basketball, and you know, whatever my passion was at the time, I've been able to follow it to, a, to you know, to expand and do different things. So if you were going to power rank, you know, the, the degree of difficulty of covering any given sport slash event, I mean, the NFL draft, it, it's a labor of love. It falls towards the bottom as far as how easy it is to cover. Um, but yet, you know, it is rewarding. We're doing it right now. It's a lot of fun uh, if you do it right, like we've done. And, you know, but it's difficult. I mean, you could just be another parrot-type reporter trying to leech off of what these big-name guys are doing and really not have your own original thoughts. But to the guys who really get down in the mud and do the dirty work of, making sure they watch with their own eyes all these players before they rank them and putting the rankings together, putting the board together, obsessing over, you know, a fraction of an inch when it comes to measurements at a pro day or a combine or a senior bowl, uh, following the rumors as far as who's who took a 30 visit where. It is a laborious process. But imagine what we do as media on the outside working in multiply it by a thousand and that's what these teams do uh every off season and so yeah for and even the casualist of fans uh in the nfl who want to know one percent of what the team does in the off season it's this i mean it's studying these prospects like nobody else and drilling down deeper than you could ever imagine to know who might be you know the future of their franchise uh so that's a pretty fascinating way to look at it, and I think that's what keeps draft fans coming back year after year once they get hooked. And like you said, you got hooked back in 2005 potentially, and for me maybe it was 2018, and now we're still talking about these 2022 prospects. For sure. Let me ask you this. Of course, neither of us would remember this, but do you miss having the draft all in one day? <laughs> Last time it yeah, was kinda... in – one day, by the way, was in that was nineteen sixty six, the last NFL draft before they had the common draft as part of the merger in sixty seven with the AFL NFL draft. But before then, yeah, they did it all in one day. And it was more than seven rounds too, it was like twenty. I think yes and no, because like now with the multiple days, like you know, 
you kind of have to adjust your schedule with whatever else is going on, you know, to fit all those days. Whereas, like, if it's just one day, you can kind of know, like, okay, I I know I'm going to be exhausted by the end of this. But you could just make it like an epic marathon day, you know, put the coffee on, put the Red Bulls in the fridge, whatever you got to do. Um, and just know that, you know, no matter what, by the end of this day, you're going to be shot. But then it's over. Uh, so I do kind of like that concept. I, I'm like the daredevil in me would be tempted to do, like try that. Because when I attended the draft in person, um, my friend took it upon him, who I attended with, took it upon himself to handwrite every pick in a draft. He started in the first round and then said, you know what, I'm committed with this little yellow pad and pen. So we started handwriting every pick that we were there for. And we stayed for every pick. So we handwrote every pick. And, you know, so if you were doing that all in one day, your hand would certainly cramp up. Uh, and I don't know if it would be as easy of a task. It was already pretty difficult. So, uh, yes, I know is my answer. Um, you know, I do enjoy the multiple days of it because it gives you some chance to like, do some things overnight. You know, I know I'm going to be up late a couple nights this week doing some articles that can come out in the morning time to get the day started over at bloggingtheboys.com. So take a look for those. Uh, but if it was all on one day too, yeah, I would, I would, uh, I would embrace the marathon of it. You know what? You just gave me a good idea. If I ever have to homeschool my kids and teach them penmanship, that's how they're going to learn it is writing down <laughs> every name of the NFL draft. I'm serious. That's a good idea. He was, I mean, for real, he was, they can practice yeah, their no, penmanship he, that way. They can learn cursive that way. He committed to it beyond like when I was just sitting next to him too. Like you might think like, oh, he was just doing that because I was next to him and like I was the reason that like he like helped like with the draft coverage. Not I don't want to make that sound like you know take away from what he did, but I was the one that got him into wanting to be into the draft, and then he took it off and and ran with it and became an excellent scout in his own right, and that's why we got to go together, which was amazing, but. You know, uh, the like I said, the Cowboys were fortunate enough to take two players who attended the draft in Leighton Vanderess and Connor Williams in the first round and second round. And so they both had in-person press conferences upstairs that he didn't attend, but I did, of course, because I was covering specifically the Cowboys. So while I was up at those press conferences, which took a while and a lot of picks were going by while I was up there, I would come back downstairs and he still had all the picks handwritten. So he was definitely committed to it. You would have to be at that point. I think that having the draft all in one day would be nice just to get it over with so it doesn't drag out over three days. But I think that television wants it to drag out over three days, and it's even nice that they expanded it because I think it used to be rounds one through four, day one, day two. Um, it was, And they were in the middle of the afternoon, too. So that 07 draft I'm talking about, that was in the middle of the day on a Friday, work day. And then... Well, you used to be able to, like, pause the draft. You know, what's the story of the Cowboys, like, stopping the draft because they wanted to go run a medical exam on somebody? And, you know, that was just that was just a thing you could do. Like, oh, you know, we want to draft this guy. We don't know about his knee, so, you know, we're going to go give him an MRI. And if it checks out, we'll draft him. If it doesn't, we'll draft somebody else. But y'all got to wait. <laughs> That was a real thing. Yeah, that's a, but again, that's just how crazy the NFL was even 25 years ago. Because who would draft? I mean, who would 
hire a coach after the NFL scouting combine. And that's what Dallas did with Don, um, with Tom Capers. Chan Gailey uh, was they hired him after the scouting combine. Holy cow. I mean, you know, you're halfway through the offseason. Good grief. Uh, so, yeah, that that's that's the kind of stuff. I mean, it was crazy. Like I said, even 20 years ago. I think just really the NFL offseason, the way we know it today, I would honestly say was when they took the draft into a three-night event, so 2010, and they had the Thursday nighter for round one. I think that's when the modern NFL offseason began, and it started to become just this out of control. You could even go back and point to, honestly, 2004 NFL scouting combine on the NFL Network, which had launched in November of 03. I mean, you could point to that. But I really think just in terms of just now all the pieces were complete and we have the offseason that we're familiar with now, 2010, when they took it to night one. And again, I think TV likes it. Uh, the sports networks like it. They uh, don't have to really cover baseball too much. You know, you don't have to do too much of the fan cam. Or, you know, oh, the, the A's are beating the C's 10-3. Uh, to 3. And coming up next, we've got, uh, you know, the D's beating the I's across the AL. You don't have to do any of that. I mean, now you got the NFL. Oh, my goodness. Football. Right in the it's middle really of baseball amazing. season. So it's nice. Yeah. So. It's amazing if you boil it down. Like, if you boil a lot of NFL events down to its simplest form, and then compared it to the hype that it gets, it's just incredible, you know, what this league has done. I mean, like the schedule release, right? It's literally just a calendar being dropped. Like, anybody that works a corporate job out there in America, you know, can tell you there's a million and one more efficient ways to do it in the way they do, other than trying to hype it up as a TV event, which they've done a great job of. You know, we all have, you know, Google calendars or, Microsoft Outlook, whatever, where you could easily just, you know, drop the dates that you need something to get done, which is basically what the NFL schedule is. Hey, this team is playing here at this time on this date, and that's what it would be. But yet the schedule releases a huge deal. Or the NFL draft, which again, I love, and it's been a fun passion of mine to pick up. But if you boil it down, all it is is, you know, teams handing in index cards and then you know, a player signing a, a rookie contract of a team. Like, it doesn't need to be this one-by-one -one announcement with different celebrity picks and, you know, they, they didn't they read a pick from space or whatever the hell uh, a couple of years ago? You know, all this crazy stuff just to say, hey, this guy's playing for this team now, this guy's going to this team. Why not just do it in private and then give us a list at the end of who your team got? Of course, We've come to expect that that wouldn't fly because we enjoy the fanfare of hearing our team, you know, get their pick in at the podium. But that just goes to show how much the NFL is, you know, the king of the sports world right now because they can do things like host a three-day draft and make it a spectacle in places like Dallas or Nashville or Philly or in this year's Vegas with a schedule release and things like that. Yeah, I, can you imagine if – they announced a pick from no. Imagine if they just had the draft and didn't tell anybody. I mean, it's think of all the leaks you would get 
out of that. It'd be kind of fun, especially with the way people leak the picks now before, you know, because they get ahead of the of a satellite, you know. You would just get a gross amount of fakes, though. I mean, it'd be like, oh, the Cowboys drafted Bokes or whatever. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know what? I, that'd be a terrible idea because so many of the, you know, no, no, no. Bad idea. You would get so many fakes. No, yeah. that'd be horrible. Sources say, you know, I got a source. I got six kittens. And each one of them <laughs> tell me six different things about who the Cowboys are going to draft at 24. Oh. So I don't know what to tell you. But if I get it wrong, it was my sources. Let's go ahead and get to some Cowboys birthdays, Sean. On Monday, when our podcast debuts, along with First and Ten, which you can also hear on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network with Dave Sturchio, Tony Catalina, and Aiden Davis. Check them out as well. Like I said, Sean, on Monday, turning 53 years old, played with the Cowboys from 1992 to 2003. I'm talking about Darren Woodson, the Cowboys' all-time leading tackler. And for every fan that brings up why they haven't drafted safety as high and why they don't value the position it always gets uh, compared to you know the fact that they had a great player at the position in Darren Woodson, why they can't get back to that. So I'm sure he'd like to uh, change that conversation by seeing the team address the position again. But no, no, as he was that type of player uh, for you know the Cowboys to finally feel good about what they had at safety. Yeah, and they did have his replacement in Roy Williams until – they instituted the horse collar tackle after the <laughs> 2004 season. I never realized Woody was the same age as my oldest brother, although a little bit. Old. He's also the same age as Bill O'Brien, the Alabama offensive coordinator. That's just interesting. bunch of old guys in their 50s. On Wednesday, turning 81 years old, is Leroy Jordan. He played with the Cowboys from 63 to 76 as a linebacker. One of the few Cowboys. No, he isn't. No, he isn't. He missed it by a year of being one of the few Cowboys to win two Super Bowls with the Cowboys in the 70s. He, But he didn't. But he did get his one. He was part of the team that finally did it in 71, winning Super Bowl six. Leroy Jordan, 81 on Wednesday. Yeah, not one of those names that, you know, a ton of Cowboys fans might be familiar with. I've. Certainly heard, you know, I'm familiar with him to an extent. Uh, and it kind of reminds me of, you know, the reason I'm a Cowboys fan is because they won the Super Bowl in 96, which is my birthday on January 28th. And, you know, the MVP of that game was Larry Brown, who kind of fits into that category as well. You know, a cornerback who, again, a casual Cowboys fan might not know a whole lot about, but he did win that Super Bowl. Uh, and was a part of a championship team and was an MVP at that. So a similar type of player uh, uh, was Jordan, and happy birthday goes out to him. For sure. And then uh, turning 30 on Thursday, so in 10 more years he'll be a grown man, Demarcus Lawrence. He, like I said, turns 30 on Thursday. Man, it doesn't it feel like he's been here for like 30 years <laughs> already? Like no, actually, it only feels like he's been here for four years. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm just giving you my perspective. No, it feels like I cannot believe that Zach Martin, for example, 
is about to be a 10-year vet. Or even that Tyron Smith now will say that he is, what, a 12-year vet now? Uh, it's just Smith, it's crazy. Smith is more believable, but you just blew my mind with Martin. So thanks for that. Uh, but yeah, you know, Tank is a mainstay of this defensive line. Uh, you know, the pass rush uh, gets criticized of him because, you know, you don't pay for run defense, whatever. But you still need that run defense that he provides. And he still gives you a better pass rush, and I think he gets credit for it. So, you, I think you, I, I, I truly do think you're going to see a very good version of Demarcus Lawrence this year. Yeah, pass rushers usually. I did a Chris Collinsworth called him a pass rusher, but they usually like this is when it all comes together for them, for what they've seen, experience wise, and then their relative youth that's remaining this is when they can put it all together and then you know guys they just end up with 10 sack seasons out of nowhere on friday ron leary he played guard from 2013 to 2016 turns 33 years old he was always battling um with uh lyle collins at the guard position at left guard but uh in 2016, he stepped in for an injured Collins, and then they went and earned the number one seed in the NFC. Yeah, Lily was always that guy, you know, when you invested so much in guys like Smith and Martin and Frederick at the time um, on the offensive line, you knew you were going to have, you, know, you had to have those warrior type guys to take it to the next level. You know, you can't have all pros tying up cap space at every single position on one unit if you want your team to be well-balanced and have a change elsewhere. So that's exactly what they did on the offensive line. You had a bunch of cornerstone players, and and you still wanted the other positions to be solid, but you had to do it at less of a cost, and that's exactly what Oye gave them, a battler uh, who played through injuries and had that mean streak. And he had, he had a lot of traits that if we come back on here next Monday after the draft and – Talked about our left guards that they took at 24. I hope we'll say that they have some more traits to what Oye was able to bring because, uh, you know, he played with that tenacity and some consistency in the run game that this team could certainly use once again. The only trait that Cowboys fans are hoping the first-round guard doesn't share with Leary is that he missed his rookie year due to injury, well, which is yeah. what happened for the former undrafted free agent because he had a degenerative knee condition, but, hey, it didn't mess with his NFL career. On Saturday, Tony Pollard needs no introduction, but he turns 25 on Saturday. He's from Memphis, Tennessee, went to Memphis, and his family has Pollard's Barbecue on Elvis Presley Boulevard and is some really good barbecue, um, sources tell me. Oh, I was going to say, you've been, you've been there? No, but... Sources. Yeah, I've been there. I actually. Yeah. Oh, you have. Um, I won't regale people with stories, but yes, I've been. You know, for brevity, but I have been. What's there. the best dish? Because I was gonna say that I should go. So what's if I do go? What's the best? They have. What do I get? Which was interesting. Which is interesting to me. They had barbecue spaghetti. What? Uh, uh, explain to me. I don't care what time we are on this. All right. So you take some pasta, some spaghetti pasta, and then you take some barbecue. Sauce, what? and you just mix it in there. But anybody could do that. Like, I'm not trying to, you know, just dunk on Pollard's restaurant, but, like, 
No, that was the one that jumped out to me. Of course, the pulled pork was excellent. I have all the, I, I have all those ingredients right now. I mean, I got some pasta and some barbecue sauce. Like what? It was it was spicy. Wait, that that's what you ordered? It little it had a little pop to it. Wait, you're telling me you went from Arkansas to Memphis and you got barbecue spaghetti? No, I. You say you mentioned like a dish that jumped out well, at you. Oh, oh well, yeah. That was yeah. It I've, I've never had. Well, that. I was asking what the best dish was. If I go, what should I get? Because sure as hell ain't gonna be no spaghetti. Oh, well, okay, yeah, you should get the beef barbecue. <laughs> okay, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the brisket when I do get barbecue here in Texas. By the way, but. Yeah, no, it's it was, it was cool, man, and uh, it, they've got a nice little setup. So anyway, Bar- uh, yeah, Tony Pollard, 25 years old on Saturday. Yeah, happy birthday to him, and we sure hope uh, he's a bigger part of the offense this year going into a contract year. Who knows what him playing a bigger role uh, would mean to his future with the Cowboys, but it's good to have him this year. If Tony Pollard has a 1,000 scrimmage yards, Tony Pollard will have a big second contract unless the NFL has wisened up to giving running back second contracts of the DeMarco Murray size. But I think that he could definitely be in for, I mean, this is his year, man. I mean, this is his DeMarco Murray year. And next year it could be a potential out for the Cowboys on the Ezekiel Elliott contract. So, you know, all the stars are lined up there for Paula to be able to go take advantage of that thing. You know, we've said the same about other running backs before. Uh, where it hasn't worked out with the Cowboys, and that's when they had you know a star-studded offensive line, which might not be the case right now. We want them to address that, but who knows how the draft is going to fall. But it seems like no matter who Pollard runs behind, he just he takes what's blocked for him, makes a guy miss, can always make a big play, something out of nothing, and his pass-catching ability uh, is certainly a plus for what this offense is trying to accomplish. For sure, and I think that's a great way to end it. You can follow us on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane and at Sean Martin NFL. Be sure to check out the Hidden Yardage podcast. Uh, subscribe to it on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Uh, the Blog and the Boys Roundtable. I will not be on it Tuesday night, but it will nevertheless be interesting because they're going to have, I think, Connor. Live Say is going to be on it. It's just really going to be uh, a really good roundtable on Tuesday night. Uh, by the way, I think, really, you've got to take a listen on Wednesday. One last time before the NFL draft. Connor Live Say and Mark Schofield talking the draft. That's going to be a, a really good one because that's when it all comes together. And they analyze all the data, and uh, they give you what – what they think is going to happen. Absolutely. Yeah, this will be my first uh, first draft with Blog and the Boys, so I'm thankful for the opportunity to get to do this. And I know our listeners and our readers will enjoy what we have out there all week long, not just starting on Thursday when the round actually gets going, but building up to it as well. You know, First thing on Monday where our podcast comes out, you got First and Ten, you got us, and then you got our website as well to uh, really start getting you ready for what we've all said is such a crucial draft for the Cowboys, and that's held up throughout the offseason. So here we go. Uh, let's get this thing ready to uh, to get kicked off. I'm excited.
And then uh, maybe in that time, I can have a burger, Sean Martin. Yeah, where's the burger review? Yeah, we're just... I, I was too busy. This oh, what? How you? You realize burgers are like the number one fast food. So that's an absolute nonsense excuse. Who has a pork roll on a? No one has. No, a pork no, roll but pork. like you, to say you're too busy for a burger, like that's what anybody like. If you're busy, if you had a busy day at work, what's the first thing you're gonna tell yourself? You're gonna go get food dinner. It's probably some type of fast food burger. So like that, that that is nonsense. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, that's still on my homework. You know, uh, I'll make, uh, we haven't uh, had a chance to get around yeah, to, you know, well, here, hold ourselves here, I'll, better. I'll, I'll give you one chance to redeem yourself. In the nature of just being a lasso before the draft, what is your favorite draft beverage? So draft beer or, I mean, I guess it was draft soda, but I'm, I'm looking for a draft beer here. Dr. Pepper. So no, no beer choice? But yeah, Dr. Pepper is a good soda. Yeah, Dr. Pepper. That or root beer are the only sodas I'll even touch nowadays. I'm not really much of a soda guy. Yeah. Yeah, no. For me, it's Dr. Pepper. Okay. Yeah. All right, Sean. We got to get out of here. It's been great doing this show with you. Really appreciate it. So there it is. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.